biggest single point of failure with money that most people make is their sole reliance on a paycheck with no savings cushion because that is your single point of failure and if you know you're expecting that paycheck to come regularly most of the time it does but there are times when all of a sudden it doesn't you don't have a cushion in place that's going to hurt you immensely so it's important to have that room for error when people say oh, i want to be a millionaire most people mean they want to spend a million dollars building wealth is different it requires restraint and self-control I'm a big fan of reading books, but I know most people don't love to read. So today I'm going to bring you wisdom from one of the best books I've ever read on money. Welcome to another episode of the Will Frederick podcast, where we talk about real estate, wealth building, money, and life. Many of y'all know I love to read. I typically read the Bible every year and about 20 to 30 other books every year, ranging from business, personal development, investing, fiction. I really think you can learn a lot from other people's experiences. One of my favorite subjects to read about is money and building wealth. When I read this book, it brings together so many great lessons in one place. I just had to share it. Plus, it's a super easy read. Chapters are just like three to five pages long. The book is called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Now, I really think you should go pick up a copy, but for now, I'm going to go through a few of the best lessons from the book. One of my favorite things about this book is the stories and the great quotes that are in it. So one of the opening quotes says, a genius is the man who can do the average thing when everyone around him is losing his mind. Guess who said that? Napoleon said that. So this book explores how wealth accumulation has more to do with behaviors and habits around money than what you know about money, which is great news because that means you don't have to be super smart or work exceptionally hard to become wealthy. You just have to form the right habits and behaviors around money. Here are a few of the top ideas from the book. No one's crazy. And what he means by that is everyone has their own unique experience with how the world works. And each of us is shaped by those experiences. And of course, they vary pretty widely. So your personal experience with money maybe makes up about one ten millionth of what's happened in the world, but maybe 80% of how you think the world works is made up by your experience. So what seems crazy to you might make sense to me because my context is different. And we've all been there where we see somebody making a decision about money that seems ridiculous. It's it's foolish, but that's their context. They're doing the best thing in their situation from what they can see. You can read about losing everything in the Great Depression, but you don't bear the emotional scars of those who actually experienced it. So while you might think you understand it, you really don't. That person is going to act differently. We all think we know how the world works, but we've all only experienced a tiny sliver of it. So people don't make money decisions using logic. They make money decisions using emotion. And lotto tickets are actually a great example of this. Rationally speaking, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to buy a lotto ticket, but people don't make those decisions rationally. It's statistically so improbable. However, thousands of people buy them every day. So everyone is acting in a way that makes sense in their own brains. So that's where he talks about the difference between being reasonable and rational, aiming to be the mostly reasonable in situations works better than trying to be coldly rational. Because guess what? You're not a spreadsheet. We make decisions not as rational beings, but emotional ones. The next big lessons he talks about is the role of luck and risk. So he shares a story about Bill Gates. And Bill Gates, by the way, attributes a lot of his success to being lucky enough to have attended the only high school in America and perhaps the world with a computer at the time. Most of us would say it's a little bit more than that. He puts it in like this. His buddy, Kent Evans, had a similar 
brainiac mind. He had he was involved in the computer program, just like Bill Gates was. But Kent Evans was actually killed in a mountaineering accident before the end of high school, and he was unlucky in in Bill Gates's estimation of it. So Bill Gates says, "Hey, a lot of what I've done." Of course, he doesn't discount his own role in it, but he says it has to do with luck. And that's true. When it comes to risk, people like Vanderbilt and Rockefeller, they took many risks and they even broke laws building their empires. Now, those two happened to become two of the richest men on earth at the time, but they could have just as easily ended up with life sentences in prison for some of the things they did. So you have to take into account the role of luck and risk and what that plays in your outcome. Kind of going along these lines, there are lots of events that happen that are like outlying events. Anything that's huge and profitable and famous or very influential, it's usually the result of an outlying one in a million type event. Now, we tend to ignore the failures that led to the smashing successes. Failures happen a whole lot more than those successes. His point is don't quit. There's this quote that you've all probably heard before. It's what would you attempt if you couldn't fail? You know, and it's it's meant to inspire you to like do whatever you want to do because you you probably won't fail. But John Maxwell, who's one of my favorite authors, he says, what would you do if you knew you would fail, but that failure would lead to success? And I think that's a much more important question because that really explores the fact that failures often lead to the successes. And if you didn't have that failure, you would not have the success because the failure is a door to the success. So he talks about that in the book. He makes the point that great art dealers actually operate a lot like index funds. So they buy everything in portfolios. They buy the whole lot for art and index funds, and then they wait for a few winners to emerge. So a couple of pieces end up being insanely valuable and the rest of them are worthless. But guess what? That value carries the weight of the portfolio in the same way you fail enough, you have enough failures and they add up and then you have a few successes and those cancel it all out. One of the cool things he says is you can be wrong half the time and still make a fortune. That's a big element in wealth building. Don't be afraid to fail. The other thing he says, don't underestimate the element of surprise. We tend to think the world is somewhat predictable by looking at history. And that can be a little tricky because things that have never happened before happen all the time. <laughs> History is the study of change. Now, ironically, some use it as a map to the future, but the correct lesson to learn from surprises is simply that the world is surprising. Not that we should use past surprises as a guide to future boundaries, the future limitations of what will happen. We have to use past surprises as an admission that we have no idea what's going to happen next. Really, anything can happen. So that brings me to one of the next concepts he talks about, which is the importance of having room for error in your calculations. He says the most important part of any plan is planning on your plan, not going according to plan. Keeping that margin of safety is crucial when you're calculating the return on investment on a project or, or dealing with any money. The more cushion you have, the better, because the world is not governed by certainties. It's really governed by odds. So the statistical probability of something happening is there. But you have to take that into account and have plenty of cushion just in case it doesn't go right. So a good rule of thumb is that everything that can break will eventually break. If many things rely on one thing working and that one thing breaks, then you're just counting the days to catastrophe. That's what they call a single point of failure. If you're relying on something that's a single point of failure, the biggest single point of failure with money that most people make is their sole reliance on a paycheck with no savings cushion. 
because that is your single point of failure. And if you know you're expecting that paycheck to come regularly, most of the time it does. But there are times when all of a sudden it doesn't. You don't have a cushion in place. That's going to hurt you immensely. So it's important to have that room for error and to have a big cushion of safety. I'd like to thank our title sponsor, First Access Mortgage. They are Louisiana's first choice mortgage lender for the last 21 years. And we are super excited to be partnered with them. For your first home, for a vacation home, or for investment property, truly, they're your home loan resource. So go check them out. And then he leads into how important the power of compounding is when it comes to investing. $81.5 billion of Warren Buffett's $84.5 billion net worth came after his 65th birthday. That is 96% of Warren Buffett's net worth. So that just speaks to the consistency over time that Warren Buffett has exhibited. The man's been investing for over 80 years. He's in his 90s. So since he was 10 years old, he is a very firm believer in the power of compound interest. And in fact, Albert Einstein, one time someone asked him, what is the most powerful force in the universe? And guess what he answered? He said, compound interest. So even he recognized, the science guy recognized the world of personal finance, compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. So that's an important thing to do when you're considering wealth and wealth building. So another point that he makes, that's a very interesting point, I thought, was the difference between getting wealthy and staying wealthy. Because good investing is not necessarily about making good decisions. It's about consistently not screwing up. <laughs> so getting money requires a different skill set than keeping money. So getting money requires risks, optimism, and hustle, right? Keeping money kind of requires a little bit of a gear shift. It requires more humility, fear, and frugality. And that's where keeping that wide margin for error comes in. You have to have a balance of optimism and paranoia. <laughs> so saving money is key here, building up that cushion. He makes some really cool points about saving money when he talks about that building wealth has little to do with your income or investment returns, and it has a lot to do with your savings rate. And, and the point he's making here is you can really control your, your savings rate a lot more easily than you can control your income or investment returns. Warren Buffett, I'll go back to him for a minute. He's got a biography and it's called Snowball. And that's a very intentional name because Warren Buffett believes about money with investing that money accumulation is like a snowball. And as it rolls, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and picks up steam, picks up snow. If you shave off a little bit of that snowball in the near term today, it's going to compound more slowly in the future. You need to preserve the size of that snowball. And Warren Buffett, oddly enough, He's infamously, infamously frugal when it comes to, he's one of the richest men on earth and he's still penny pinches sometimes. That's a big factor for him because he realizes that a dollar today is worth so much more than a dollar in the future because it turns into way more in the future, right? Going back to savings rate being important, that's the biggest factor you can control and it's one of the things that matters most. He talks about learning to be happy with less money. And that creates a gap between what you have and what you want. And that gap will be your savings. And by the way, that's a similar gap to created. Most people think they got to go make more money. So if you grow your paycheck, you get that gap between what you, what you want, what you have. And that can create savings too. But an easier way and more in control way to do that 
is just to become happy with less. And that way you can increase that savings rate. So a lot of times we try to impress other people with our wealth, but caring less about what others think about you will actually increase your wealth by creating opportunity to save. You won't be constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses and what everybody expects your wealth level to be. And, and more in savings means more control over your time. That control over your time is actually an unseen return on wealth because it affords you the flexibility. That's a great place to be because you're not forced to act and you can wait for better opportunities to come along. Speaking of caring what other people think, he talks about something that's really neat. It's called the man in the car paradox. If you see someone driving a really nice car in your head, you don't say, man, that guy is so cool. You say, if I had that car, people would think I was cool. People tend to want wealth to signal to others that they should be liked and admired, but others will only use your wealth as a benchmark for their own desire to be liked or admired. Everybody thinks they're thinking about you, but they're really thinking about themselves. If you want respect and admiration, expensive stuff rarely brings it and especially doesn't bring it from the people you want to like admire you, right? So humility, kindness, and empathy will bring you more admiration and respect than horsepower ever will. <laughs> Everybody thinks wealth is what's on the outside, but wealth is really what you don't see because spending money to show people how much money you have is the fastest way to have less money, right? If you see somebody driving a $100,000 car, the only thing you really know about them is not that they're rich, but that they have $100,000 less than before they bought that car. Even if it was cash, they had $100,000, they don't. If it was debt, they had nothing, now they have $100,000 in debt. So when people say, oh, I want to be a millionaire, most people mean <laughs> they want to spend a million dollars. Building wealth is different. It requires restraint and self-control. So you want to really examine that in your life and determine what is your goal. You don't want to fall into the trap, the never enough trap, right? The hardest financial skill is getting those goalposts to stop moving because every time you make an increase, if your expectations of, of your lifestyle rises with those results, you're never getting ahead. There's no point in striving because every time your income grows, your lifestyle grows and you're still breaking even, right? So you want to go on back to that, what we said earlier about kind of learning to settle for less, learning to be happy with less because happiness is not about your income level. It's really about your internal world and what you're willing to do and what you're willing to settle for, right? And again, social comparison is a big, big problem here. You got to take a step back assess your situation, and don't compare yourself to other people. Somebody else said, don't compare your out insides to other people's outsides. Figure out what you want, then go after that. Because it's a huge mistake to fulfill other people's dreams. The last thing you want to do is get to the top of the ladder and realize it's leaning up against the wrong building. So those are just a few of the lessons I've learned from what really is one of the best books I've ever read about money, The Psychology of Money. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you found value in today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button. And if you think of someone who might be interested in hearing some of the ideas we shared today, please share this episode. I appreciate you listening in today to the Will Frederick podcast, where we talk about real estate, wealth building, money, and life.